Welcome to Brad Golf Podcast, podcast for the average golfer. My name is Dermot Bradfield and golf is in my blood. Join me as I fumble my way around this fascinating sport. Okay, welcome back to Brad Golf. It's the 12th of August, 2020. This is episode 12 of the Brad Golf Podcast series. Today, we're going to recap on the PGA one of Nigel's picks for Wyndham. We'll discuss current events on the PGA Tour and back at home in Ireland. As usual, please do subscribe to the podcast. You'll find Brad Golf TV on Anchor, Google, Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please follow, like, retweet, and share on social media. You'll find Brad Golf on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and you'll find bradgolf.ie on Facebook. And you can also contact us on bradgolftv at gmail.com. It's been really good the last week, obviously with the way things went at the weekend. We got lots of feedback and lots of comments across a lot of the platforms, so that's great to see. So first off today... Welcome back, Nigel. Great to have you, you freaking legend. How's it going? I thought it was on a Ryanair flight there for a minute. And we, we just arrived on time. We sure did. What a weekend. I mean, you were saying before we started that you've, you feel like you've jet lagged from the weekend. So tell us, how, how was the weekend for you um, sitting and watching? It was a great result. No, no doubt it was very satisfying to uh, pick the winner and also get the second place. But it was exhausting to watch it all because I, I spent, I think I stayed up for most of the, every round till yeah. at least two in the morning. And I'm still tired. From, I feel like I've been to San Francisco and, and flown back. Yeah, I'm tired now. But elated nonetheless, Yeah, considering that we, uh, we did so well. So I'm going to rewind a little bit and we'll go back to Thursday. Now, there's a lot to talk about golf-wise, but I'm, I'm picking out some of maybe the Irish elements in it and maybe some of the local elements in it. So on Thursday, Gavin from Gavin Watch, Gavin Moynihan, he tweeted, Shane Laurie is the current Open champion. He's 200 par on a tough golf course. He's playing with Kepka and Woodland, and he's had the quickest dropped from the coverage I've ever seen. Haven't shown one shot. Sky Sports has nothing to do with this. The American coverage is just terrible. And a number of other podcasts, our American friends as well, were very critical of the TV coverage over the weekend. What did you think of it? I think that's a bit harsh. I think uh, the coverage is better than um, some of the regular tour events. I think it's a bit wishful to think that Shane Lara, just because he is, I mean, he is the Open champion, but he doesn't have the same appeal in the States as other players, Brooks Koepka, Phil Mickelson, and Tiger Woods, obviously. And they're all out at the similar times. So that's typically how the, the broadcast goes, that yeah. they focus on those. Bit. And like anytime Tiger's there, no matter how, well or badly he's playing they focus on him so it's not a surprise that he 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 didn't feature much and on thursday he was out thursday morning if memory serves and there were a lot of the big names went out in that wave yeah so he was he was competing against other players as well and i know i know he was in brooks's group and they could have shown a few more shots but i think they got to him on friday at a certain opportune time (laughs) anyway yeah, and we might come to that in a moment. Yeah. Okay, so fast forward a little bit then to Sunday, and this is the Twitter machine starting to kick off. So this is Sunday morning, 
like 9 a.m. Irish time. So after the, the Saturday round was complete, Twitter machines started to ramp up because at this stage you had you know, the top two, right? So no, in reverse order to what it finished, but DJ Marikawa were, were sitting pretty at that stage. So Donald, one of our regular followers, said, and I quote, Nigel does it again, giving his great value with his picks. I'm worried about Dustin's ability to close the deal, though. Uh, he has history of letting me down on a Sunday, going right back to 2010 when GMAC won the US Open. Worried Smiley followed that. So I think he, he, was, he definitely saw the future there, that's for sure. But he was, he was looking forward to it. And then at 1.30 on Sunday night, so this is into Monday morning, on the final day, he said, I'm not going to bed yet. Nigel's picks look like they're going to pay off again. So Donald had a, a great weekend, but he, he wasn't alone on that. You must have felt on Sunday morning, like 9 a.m. Sunday morning, Irish time, you must have felt really, really positive about your two guys coming home. Yeah, yeah. They, they look in great shape. They're both like DJ in the last group as the 54-hole leader. And Mark Howe was in the second last group. He was two back, but he had a great round on Saturday. So it was, you know, it was all to play for. We were in great position. I was assuming that both would place at that stage. I was similar to Donald. I was worried whether Dustin could close it out. And also, it wasn't just that he would collapse. It was it was really all to play for on the weekend. There were a lot of people with chances. Oh, yeah. Very, like only a handful of shots covered a lot of players. So really, anyone could have won that tur- tournament, really. Yeah. And at, at one stage, at least twice on Sunday... There were six players tied for the lead. And it was just a matter of who was going to stick their head up and, and go for it. And really, Colin Marikawa, I mean, when you said him last week, when you called out his name, anyone can listen back to it if they, if they, if they want evidence on this. But I, I felt like, oh, that's, that's a really good pick. Like the DJ one, I was a little bit, yeah, bit of a, a gamble on DJ, even though he was lower odds. Uh, but the Mar- a, lot of pe- yeah, a lot of people were questioning why I put up yeah. DJ. Yeah, well, look, clearly you were right. But the Marikawa one, I just felt like that's easy money. Like, that's, I just feel like I'm, I'm stealing money from the bookmakers here because at that odds, he was, for me, a, a, a certain top 10, I felt. As much as you could ever be certain on a golfer in a, in a, in a major. So what a fantastic achievement for him in his first PGA. How did he win it? Like, in your opinion, how did he step up and win it considering there were six people there at many stages in a tie what separated him from the pack well, obviously the, the the drive on 16 and when he drove drove the par four was was the, the clear kind of decisive moment when he won the tournament to chip in on 14 yeah that 14th hole was gave him the outright lead at 11 under put him a shot ahead of everyone else he the way he played that hole, he uh, he got a break off the drive, the kick back into the fairway. He hit a very poor approach shot for him, which is normally approach play and iron play is his strong suit. He actually kind of scooped it up and left it short, but chipped in, and you know that kind of got got his momentum going. But I actually think the most important thing was he put it out of his mind. Yeah. There were stages on the front nine and early in the back nine where his round was kind of getting a little ragged he uh, short-sighted himself a couple of times on the f- even starting the first hole he put his, te- his second shot in the bunker blasted out to about 25 feet but held the putt yeah. didn't have a bogey the whole round 
I don't know exactly what the footage of the amount of putts he held, but that the putter was really the key. And it was the key on Saturday as well, which is kind of goes against how he's played for the rest for the, earlier in the season. Early in the season, it was his approach play into the green. But that was a strong suit. And it was actually, he was well down to putting stats. He was down on the, like, 150th or something like that yeah. in the putting stats. So that's, putting is not the strongest part of his game, but it was last week. And that makes a difference for sure. Lowest score in the history of the PGA for back nine golf over the four days. Yeah. Which showed the aggressiveness well, in, in his play, particularly there on Sunday as well. Well, he won it, you know. Uh, I don't think... There were, as I said, there were a lot of people with chances, but he went out and grabbed it. Grabbed it, yeah. Uh, and he kind of sh- showed the the enthusiasm of youth and the he had no scar tissue. He just went out and won it. Well, that brings me on to a man who has plenty of scar tissue then, which was DJ. So he didn't win it. You could say he didn't lose it either. He didn't flop. He shot one better than the average for the field on Sunday, which when you're in the final group, that's often not enough, let's be honest about it. Too many pars, didn't really threaten it, and had his opportunity on the 10th. Didn't bogey it, but everyone else is boarding it for himself in the bunker and got a par. That's really where I think the momentum was lost for him, maybe. Exactly, it was. That's where he, that was where he would have, that should have been a standard birdie for him. As you said, most people were birdieing it. If he'd have birdied that hole, he would have been a shot ahead. Yeah. And that little, bit of separation from the rest of the field could have been a decisive factor than the back nine. He didn't get the birdie there. He was in the group with everyone else and he was kind of, he played okay, but he was flat a bit on the back yeah. nine. I wouldn't say, he didn't flop in any way, but he wasn't getting close enough to the hole with his iron shots. He had a bad, I think it was the 14th hole, he put himself in an awful spot in the bunker, ended up with a bogey and at that stage Morikawa was starting had already gone to eleven under. He was two back and needed to kind of, you know, get his act together and yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. Very disappointing. A lot of people obviously very disappointed with DJ, but nonetheless, he's featuring unlike someone else we're going to come to later. But it was a it was a great performance still by DJ. I mean, his round on Saturday was excellent. I mean he shot sixty-five with a double bogey. That was when he probably looked his best. I'm surprised he didn't do better, but he, I, he didn't flop. And, yeah, exactly. you know, he's, yeah. for a guy who shot two back-to-back 80s only a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, yeah. it was a great result. Moving on from that then, so fans of the pod are now officially rich. We've got Tom Flood has got in touch to say he won over 60 quid here. Vice captain at Danabay Golf Club won over 80 quid. Next student of mine, Jordan, Jordan Bull, he won 275 quid. Cha-ching. Cha-ching indeed. An anonymous Twitter user won over 200 quid as well. I got over 200 quid. And I hear you got over 200 quid. Yeah, I gave some of it back though on the, on the English championship, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> We also got a letter from the solicitors of a large betting company asking us to cease and desist with this pod because we're likely to put them out of business at the rate we're going here. So, yeah, fantastic weekend for anyone who followed your picks. So, again, we were talking about paywalls. We're talking about maybe commission here on anyone who, do, who, t- who puts money down. 
I think we've got to seriously consider this another fantastic weekend. Cool. Glad everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. Well done, Nigel. Then we had, I suppose, Brooksy versus DJ. So Brooksy, the day before, uh, after the Saturday golf, I'm going to quote out what he said. When I've been in this position before, I've capitalized. I don't know. Dustin's only won one. I'm playing good. I don't know. We'll see. He got a lot of heat for this because obviously he threw that shade towards DJ, who is one of his mates, and then came out and played very flat on the day, faded away pretty quickly, Brooksy. And he got a lot of criticism for it. You know, a lot of people are calling him bully boy. And, you know, he didn't show up after making those statements. My own view on this is that I think it's great for the game that people do things like this, that there's a bit of banter amongst players. I know Rory came out and defended DJ afterwards. But I think it's great for the game that people like Brooksy. Not that I like Brooksy by any means, but the fact that he's, he's having a bit of banter here, I think it's good for the game. Many have been critical. I think he needs it. What's your view? I think you're right to a certain extent that uh, it does need a bit of a uh, bit of needle, a bit of uh, controversy. The guys stoking up a bit of rivalry. There's something wrong with that. You know, it's an extra dimension to the uh, the golf. I think he was a little a little stupid to sort of go on about. It was he was trying to play mind games. Yeah. With with Dustin, and I think Rory was right in saying that. Dustin wouldn't really pay much attention to that. <laughs> Dustin really yeah. pay much attention to a lot of things. Which is and, probably why Brooksy said it. Like, they were mates. And, uh, yeah, apparently they're friends. I'm not, I'm not sure how close they really are. And I'd say they actually, I'd say they are fairly, you know, fairly pally. And I'd say it was a bit of, just a friendly bit of banter. Yeah, exactly. I think it probably got out of hand a little. You're right, Brooksy didn't didn't look good if you didn't if you don't follow it up. Oh yeah. You look like a bit of a jump. But it's the first time Kupka's really looked kind of a little silly after looked, the event. Yeah, and he well, in his golf he looked human then as well, because I mean his his major performances have been outstanding. And I'm sure a lot of people were looking into into Sunday's golf saying, Oh, he's in contention here. He's he's likely to go low on Sunday and win this again. And he didn't for what probably the first time that we've seen him in a position like that in the major and he hasn't, he hasn't come through. So um, he backed himself and yeah, it didn't work out. That's for sure. Personally, I, I thought that would happen as well. I wasn't yeah. conv- convinced that he was ready to win again. When we saw on Saturday and get the physio was out in the course, giving him, you know, stretching and thought they were need, needed to get a room at one stage, but uh <laughs> And moving on to oh, then, so Rory, he sounded very deflated after the event. Again, I'm going to give you a quote. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as good as I used to be. So that's a really, really down in himself kind of a guy. And what's ironic about all of this is if we spin this on its head a little bit, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Snooker, um, he said during the week that young players coming into the game now are so bad that they need to lose an arm and a leg to fall out of the top 50. Whereas... In golf, it seems to be the other way around. And the opposite problem for Rory is that all these young guys coming up are proving to be incredibly skilled at the game. You've got your Shambles, Champ, obviously, Marikawa, and others in the top 10 who are very, very new to the game. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a big problem there for Rory. And he's very down on himself. What did, what did you think of Rory you know, during and after? Well, I think it's possibly an admission of what 
myself and others have kind of um, felt about his game in the last few months is that it isn't as good as, as it used to be. I think that was honest. Yeah. It is weird that he would get down himself, but I don't think, I think Rory's just honest a lot of the time. Is, in, you don't normally see that from professionals. But you don't normally see that from, from professionals. You know, I remember the story about Jack Nicholas when he was asked, you know, about putting, and he said he never three-putted in a major. And one of the journalists said, well, what about in Royal St. George last year in the 16th? You had a three-putter, and he responded back to say, I never three-putted in a major. A lot of pros, they don't focus on the negative things. They, they only focus on the positive things. In fact, they don't look at the negative things. They don't talk like that. Now, Rory, obviously, he's a very open and honest guy, but it's rare that you see a professional in sport talking like that, must be said. Yeah, it's strange. Normally, they, they project the front. That's very positive, very kind of you know, success orientated. They're all about kind of imagining success and kind of working towards that. And yeah, it was weird that he would come out with something like that. Uh, I don't really, uh, again, I don't really think you can read too much into it. Yeah. You know, he's a multi-millionaire. What's he got? Maybe 200 million in the bank. Yeah. We're not going to feel sorry for him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And he still he can still play golf. I mean, he actually, I was looking at it on after the thir- the third round was finished, and he had as many birdies as Brooks. Yeah. He just had, you know, he had that treble on on fr- Friday. Way too many stupid bogeys. Yeah, um, it's he a, said that if he can tidy up that part of his game, he he'll challenge. But he's he's likely to shoot a treble, and in a major weekend you know or major week you can't afford those trebles you've got to keep them off your off your card so rumors of rory's death are greatly exaggerated so i, <laughs> greatly exaggerated. I expect him i expect him to come back in the fedex cup playoffs do something yeah may well do may well do okay um poor old shane you you, you mentioned earlier that he, you know the tv coverage came to him at the right time uh, or maybe the wrong time Shane was quite frustrated and snapped his club over his knee. We've all been there, though. We've all felt like that at some stage. My mom said to me, oh, I didn't think Shane was like that. And I said, you know what? He's, he's a human like the rest of us. He does get frustrated and angry at times. I wouldn't say it was Pearl Shane. Pearl Shane has got form on this. Anyone that thinks, you know, he's a, some sort of lovable, uh, you know, lad that's kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky and you know he's he's one of us you know he's a great golfer and he's very focused yeah he also has a massive temper on the course he's been cut like i watched this is an early lockdown they were showing reruns of the 2009 uh, irish open when he won as an amateur and he was caught on camera and on the the mic two or three times f-bombing yeah. so and sky sports were kind of very much disappointed in his behavior that's at that stage yeah. and hoping hoping that he would learn from the future and he didn't learn he was caught he's been caught in in the states i remember there was one time he put it in the in the water in the in the bear trap at the honda classic and let out a fairly <laughs> audible curse uh that's fine i mean that's we all curse i mean geez, that's what i do in the course a lot myself i think he needs to rein it in though breaking the club was probably the worst i've seen yeah yeah I can understand his frustration. He 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 missed a, a tiddler of a two footer 
uh, one of the previous holes and he was going the wrong way. I think he'd four bogeys in five holes after being in contention. Yeah. And he got the coverage that Gavin said he wasn't get, getting. So now he's he's more less a lovable rogue, a bit of a bad boy now, breaking clubs. So ah yeah, sure you have to be nowadays to get any TV coverage. Maybe that was it. Maybe Gavin said, "Look, you're going to have to do something here. Yeah. Do something drastic. You know, break, <laughs> start breaking clubs and f bombing and <laughs> but effing and blinding." That's the case. Then Sky Sports should follow me around when I'm playing because they'll get plenty of that. Right, so moving on from the PGA then. So, and, and to, to wrap it up, I'll just say phenomenal, Nigel. Phenomenal week. So you've a lot to live up to. Now, granted, you've been really strong since we've come back anyway. That's just, that's just hammered at home. So well done to you, mate. Yeah, great to get the one-two. So moving on then to more local news then and away from the PGA, the Irish Open. So the, the latest news coming out of the Irish Independent here, and this is a claim that it now appears likely that the Irish Open is going to move north of the border to Galgorm Spa and Golf Resort in Northern Ireland. And the reason that it would move from Mount Juliet, where we were only a couple of weeks ago, is that the restrictions from the US don't apply in Northern Ireland. So in the Republic, it's 14 days self-isolation coming from the US, whereas in Northern Ireland, that does not apply. So the tournament was originally scheduled for Mount Juliet at the end of May. It's now penciled at the 24th to the 27th of September. And as I say, the Irish Independent are claiming that it's likely to move to Galgorm Spa and Golf Resort. So what do you think there, Nigel? Does that, that make sense from the isolation point of view? But I still wonder who's going to travel from the US for this. Well, I have to say that's news to me. I haven't really been keeping up with developments with the Irish Open. I think that's a good move, actually. You might get some. Now, Rory has already confirmed he's not coming. But you may get the likes of GMAC, you know, who, who, who'd come over, whereas he wouldn't be able to come to Mount Juliet. Maybe the Shane Larry would, would go as well. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's for those guys they're doing it. And, you know, they'll bring some, some buddies with them as well, no doubt. Maybe uh, Shane can, you know, go into the pro shop in Galgorm, get his club fixed. <laughs> Reshafted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For golf restrictions then, so things have taken a turn in Ireland. So Kildare, Offaly and Leach are in a state of semi-lockdown at the moment. So golfers residing in those three counties can't travel outside of their county to play golf. And golfers residing outside of those three counties cannot travel into those counties to play golf. Golf in those areas is restricted to members and members' guests. So open golf is, is closed down in those counties. Inter-club matches in those areas are being postponed until uh, I think they've been given a further two weeks till hopefully these measures can be lifted. So therefore, the trip, the, Don the Donabate boys were all going down to Athai on Saturday the 15th. We were all scheduled to play the Junior Scratch Cup there. That's been postponed now until September. So hopefully we'll be able to rebook in for that in September. But that was disappointing for our Donabate boys. There were six of us going to travel there. Marcin, your partner as well, was, was on board to play, but unfortunately not to be. The Pierce Parcel... Our Donabate boys were beaten by Hoth, so hard luck to them. That was our final standing inter-club team for the year, so hard luck to Owen and the boys. They gave it a good go. They had a really difficult job of playing three matches away at Hoth, which we talked about last week. And unfortunately, they lost those three matches, so they're out for another year, but you know, it was a good effort all around. Did you ever play Pierce Parcel, Nigel? No, I was never that high. Never that high. I love it. I love it. Good answer. <laughs> 
that leads us into the match then. So I know you, we were building this up quite significantly last week. In fact, I think we may have claimed that it was going to be a bigger event than the PGA itself. So that was on the 5th. So we're, we're basically a week out from that. There's just one hole I want to talk about first and <laughs> come to the match. You're probably going to guess which hole it is. But the first blue, it was the 10th hole, okay. um, as you well remember. And Mark hit a shocking drive, knocked down his drive, hit the tree on the right, and somehow the ball shot left and onto the fairway. But I was over 200 metres from the green. Martin, where did Martin put you? Put me uh, beside those little bush trees on the left. So I had a restriction, restricted stance and uh, followed through. So those little bushes, they're, they're quite threatening in that if you follow through onto them, they're very thorny. So they're not nice ones to be up against. Yeah, so you were sitting kind of poorly. I didn't know that when I was taking the second shot, by the way. I didn't know how bad you were restricted. So I stood up for my second shot and I pulled the tree wood uh, quite significantly out onto the shocker. third red. Absolute shocker. It was a shocker. I actually put him on the fairway on the third red, but actually he was blocked out by four or five, a line of four or five trees. He was blocked out. He couldn't go over them. Actually, he was, he was close to them. He couldn't go over them. He had to go under them. And you took on a mad shot. So what, what did you do with your second shot? Tell us. Obviously inhibited by the bush tree and there was a further tree uh, at the at the corner at the ditch that was kind of blocking a straight shot at the green. So I tried to basically do a kind of a ground hook or some sort of yeah. extreme pull hook. And uh, I didn't get lined up. I was lined up too far right and it headed towards the, uh, the line of trees in the ditch. Yeah. But I ended up getting hitting the, the tree full on and bouncing back into, into play. Yeah, like when you hit it, like that second shot, I didn't think you'd be able to get as much out of it as you did. You got a lot out of it. And obviously it went higher than you thought as well and further. So yeah, it, I don't know how it stayed in play, but it caught some branch and stayed in play. Yeah, so you got, you got a lucky break there. That's for sure. But look, then we were next. So I'd hit it so far left that we were next to play. And Mark had to, he had to dink one under the trees. The rough before the green was very fluffy. I didn't get a chance to say it to him, but I was going to say, Mark, you're going to have to actually smash it into that rough if you want it to bounce through because it's very clingy, kind of fluffy rough. But he, he knew what he was doing and he put it on the green. He probably left me, how, how far would you say? 12 feet? No, not even. 10 feet? Uh, it was about 12 feet. 12 feet, 12 feet, more, feet up the hill. 12 feet up the hill. So, you know, I, I was absolutely amazed at the shot he pulled off. To yeah, it was a great shot. Green. Yeah. Then... Martin, so he had a difficult shot there because he was in the rough on the right. So tell us a bit about that shot, his third shot. Well, we got, obviously, the lucky break off the tree and he was a little bit sitting down the rough. Hit a, a reasonable chip. It went a little bit further than I expected. So he left me a downhill 20-footer or more. Yeah, so you're up to... So we're, we're, it, was a, it was a scary putt because where the pin was, it was kind of around the middle of the green and that green, as we know... Uh, it's from it's from slopes from back to front. So yeah, you did you did severely. I turned to Mark, and we were having a little bit of a chat about you know our situation, and we we kind of agreed we knocked this in for par. The lads are going to be sick, like they're going to be sick that we got a par at all. And we were thinking you know it's going to win the hole right because you're the twenty footer downhill. You'd be doing doing well to two putter. So you were to put next. So what happened? What did you do? Rolled it in like it was a three-footer. Yeah, it was, it was never in doubt, actually. It was a fabulous putt. And it wasn't too pacey. It wasn't like it was in the hole or bust. 
it was, it was moving at a good pace when it got to the hole. It just dropped in. So that changed everything. Now we needed the putt for a half when I had been thinking that was going to be a putt to win the hole via sucker punch. But we, we rolled it in. I rolled it in, I should say, to get a par. And it kind of summed up our day a little bit. We got pars when sometimes we didn't deserve to get pars. And we got up and down from some, some silly places. But it was a phenomenal hole for like two pars where neither of us deserved to get a par in the hole. It's kind of the story of our day a little bit. So how did the match go for you? How did you? What was your view on the match? Overall, we didn't play anywhere near as well as uh, the previous round. Yeah, I didn't. Don't think we gelled well. I don't think we were thinking well as a group. We weren't strategic. I also, I think I would have said that the fifth yellow was a was a yeah an important hole for you. I had that right um, written down here. It was an excellent par for us and a bit of a sucker punch because again we got a lucky break maybe with Mark's second shot hitting the trees on the left came back into the fairway. But it was a good up and down. It was a good up and down, but the the break off the trees was even was probably the biggest break of the whole day, in my opinion. Yeah. Because not only did it bounce away from the trees, or it bounced forward. It did about yeah. thirty or forty yards, so it left you just in front of the green. Yeah. When really you should have been buried in the trees about seventy yards back. Yeah. And we, I, I driven the ball over the trees, a very brave drive, but a you know confident put Marching in a great spot and really there's no way we should have lost the hole and I thought we were going to be odds on to win it and we ended up losing it and walked off two down. That put us in such bad form for th- that we made stupid mistakes at the next hole and basically gave you the next hole because I think we were still livid a bit yeah. from the previous hole. That put us three down after six and we actually have the next six holes I think. There was obviously there was the half of the tenth and the half of the ninth were kind of interesting little yeah. uh, back and forths, but essentially we gave ourselves way too much to do. And we had a horrific hole on the the thirteenth, the index one, where we were we, the only hole where we had a shot against you, and we were just all over the place. I had a hor- horrific tee shot. Marching hit a poor chip near the green, and we should have at least got a half out of that with a shot, and we didn't. So the game was pretty much looked over there. We were four down with five to play. We pro- we should have won the caravan hole because we were just short, just the front of the green. Yeah. And it's a two-putt would have probably won the hole first. Uh, yeah, we were four down before the play and I hit a bad tee, a very bad tee shot on, on the fourth left. Marching's kind of in an awkward spot in the trees on the right. Uh, and a, a good bit back as well. What did you say and to me as we were walking down the fairway? Because he was blocked and he was behind the tree and I kind of looked at him and went, that. what did you say to me walking down that I said, I said to you and uh, Marcus that uh, we'd be thrown in the towel soon enough and I was <laughs> expecting to be shaking hands up at the green and then Marching said, can I go for a hero shot or a Houdini shot? As a Houdini is what he said, yeah. Uh, and he pulled off an amazing tree wood cut the left it just short of the green. You guys, I think he's pushed it right. Mark pushed it right. My chip wasn't good enough. Uh, it wasn't. And you missed the you missed the putt that would have you'd have put for the match, and you yeah. missed that. And we got up and down and won our first hole. Uh, and then on the sixteen, Marching hit a, a nice orange, just left us at the front of the green. I hit a nice long putt up to about 
four feet and he put it in for a par and you guys didn't get the par so we won 16 as well so it's two down with two to play and you guys are getting extremely nervous yeah we're, we're breaking it now because we'd made a few mistakes on on 15 and 16 we didn't get pars and, and like for the first 10 holes we had eight pars so we were kind of we were on a par run really but at this stage now we were slipping into bogey form and finding it difficult to get out of it I blast a great drive down just slipped into the light rough on the left but we were looking good we were well down the fairway or down the hole and I didn't get my draw so I was looking for a draw which I hit all the time but it didn't come now a little bit of it came and it hit the trees on the right now it hit it on Donna Bates side on the, on the course side of the trees and I did feel when it hit the trees there's a good chance that's okay but there was also a chance that we could have got hit one of the branches and, and gone right and out of bounds. So, and we couldn't see it. So Mark had to get up and hit one as a provisional and he put his provisional out of bounds. So this stage walking off the tee where we're in the lap of the gods a little bit, we got down there and the ball was sitting on the, on the brown stuff in play. He was going to have to, Mark was going to have to punch one to keep it under the branches, but it was in play. And that was probably, it was a lucky break, but I did feel on the tee that it, this isn't in play, it would be disappointing. Um, Unbelievably jammy. <laughs> like that all day. Yeah, you like I think did think your 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 own tee shot what did have a good chance of staying in. That's the kind of it happens sometimes in that hole that it, it as you said, it, it, it could just as easily have gone the other way. But oh, yeah. I didn't expect it that you get a a good swing at it. Yeah. And be able to get it up 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 near the green. Yeah, so he put me in the bunker. I, I, I flopped it out. The pin was towards the back, so I flopped it out to six or seven feet. Mark missed the putt, and we yeah. got five. You guys had a putt. Yeah, Marcin just... The drive was in the rough, but he just got under it on his second shot and left us just short of the green. I put it up at a long putt from about 50 feet. I put it up to about seven feet, I'd say, eight feet, it but it was a tricky putt. down... Yeah, I left him a tricky downhill putt with a. It was hard to do. It was difficult to kind of judge the break, but it was basically to win the hole and to keep the match going up 18. Yeah. And at that stage, my money would have been on ye if it was going up 18. But the putt didn't go in. And we, we ran off the course into the cars and home. No, it was at that stage, we felt we got out of jail. Yeah, at that stage. Whereas, you know, with. with Four or five holes to go, we were saying to ourselves, we should have had this game wrapped up because we'd missed two short putts. Well, I had missed two short putts, I should say. And the par five, the 11th, I missed a short one for a win. I think the second yellow as well, uh, I missed a short putt there as well. Two putts I should be getting. Yeah, so with, with four, four up, with four to play, we felt like the match should have been over before that, in some respects. And here we were on the 17th, clinging on for dear life. You know, it's amazing how much uh, a match play match can turn yeah, it's uh, especially foursomes because yeah. you know all it takes is one bad shot to to leave you kind of struggling. Yeah, and I think if we'd have gone down eighteen, I think we would have won eighteen. I think you would have, yeah, no doubt about it. From a foursomes match, I never felt as knackered. Like with four down, four up with four to play, everything was under control, everything was fine, and all of a sudden, then I just felt mentally drained by the by the end of it. Sure, there's always next year. There's always next year, exactly. But it was a good match. Oh, uh, it was interesting. It was a memorable match in in strange ways. Yeah, 
Right, so let's move on from the match to Gavin Watch. Quickly on Gavin Watch, the Celtic Classic is on this weekend at Celtic Manor Resort in Newport in Wales. And from an Irish perspective, we've obviously Gavin Moynihan there. We have Paul McGinley and we've the two lads from Northern Ireland, Jonathan Caldwell and Cormac Sharvin in action. Celtic Manor Resort, really important that Gavin makes a cut here. I mean, his form, the last two tournaments has not been, I suppose, what, he, what he's looking for. So fingers crossed for Gavin this weekend that he can make a cut and that will build his confidence, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Strange that he didn't play Hanbury Manor last week. After the two previous tournaments, he must have taken the decision to take a break, come back and do some work. He must have taken that decision. Or, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, maybe he wanted to watch the PGA. Yeah. yeah, maybe he did. And he sure did. Maybe he wanted to watch Shane Laurie and he didn't get to see that. Who knows? <laughs> I don't have any picks, I'm afraid, for um, the Celtic Classic. I may have some later on. Well, maybe uh, maybe people can put a few bob on Gavin there and hopefully he can he can bring his home. Moving on from there then. So I was down in Lee Valley on uh, Lee Valley Golf Club in Cork on Sunday for their Junior Scratch Cup. Sunday the night. In summary, I didn't score, right? I, but I played with two nice lads, Joe, who's playing off four from Cork, and Andy, who's off six from Newcastle in England. It was the hottest day of the year, absolute scorchio down there, uh, clear skies. It was quite tough, actually, in the heat. The course was in good condition. It's a, it's a bit of a walk. I won't say it's a hoth. It's definitely not anything like hoth. There's a bit of work in the course um, in walking it. There's a lot of dog legs, and at least... Five of those are pretty much 90 degrees. At least two, if not three, of the tee shots were blind, which is rare, I think, in parkland courses to see that, but I enjoyed them. What do you think about blind shots off the tee? I think it's fine to have them on a course. I know Lucan has got a blind shot. I think it's on the seventh or eighth. Mm -hmm. It's a parkland with a blind shot. I think it's fine sometimes, you know, when when you don't have a target or you've only got a you know, a point on a hill that you're that yeah. you're going for, and you, you sometimes swing better. You do, yeah. Um, yeah, rather than thinking of a big fairway, you're just thinking of a, a point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the greens were lovely, it must be said. Very, very good condition. They're slopey and challenging. Put them in the similar category to our neighbours there in Beaverstown, in that they're slopey and challenging. Your approach shots, you need to be on the correct side of the hole. It, and you, so you need to know where that is. Anyone who avoids a tree putting around there is going to gain three or maybe more on the field. There's a lot of tree put opportunities. I'd recommend the course for sure. But something happened that annoyed the three of us quite significantly, and I do need to speak about it. So we had finished the second hole. Like many junior scratch cups, they're played from the back stakes, so which is great, which is one of the reasons we love junior scratch cups, and I'm sure you're the same, Nigel, that you get to play the courses at their maximum, right? You get to play them off the, the back stakes. And Lee Valley only play off the back stakes for the Junior Scratch Cup and the Senior Scratch Cup. I could be corrected on that, but it's pretty much to the point of in Saturday competitions and majors, they don't play off the back stakes. They have, a, I think, a black tee, which is, is, is used for the, the big competitions, but they don't go to the back stakes except for the Junior and Senior Scratch Cup. Maybe the other odd exception, but for the most part, those. So they're rarely used. And actually, you could see that a couple of the tee boxes, they were, they looked like they'd been cut a couple of days before, but for the first time in six months. You know, that kind of grass that's yellow and clumpy. So the back tees weren't used much. And we 
we we just finished the second and we were crossing the road to go to the third tea box and as we got to the third tea box there it's a shared tea box so it's shared between the third and the tenth tea box and there was a couple of guys playing the tenth hole and we, we, we waited for them to tee off and they, they moved off and we moved on to the tee box and you enter the tee box from the back because you cross the road and you enter the tee box in the back and there are two sets of tee markers on the tee box but there's no signage right so there's there's no signage on the tee box to say this is the third or this is the tenth now the guys before us were playing the tent. The tent is on the right-hand side and the third is on the left-hand side. So the guys who teed off before us, they teed off from the right-hand side of the tee box. It makes natural sense that that would be the case because the tent being on the right-hand side, you tee to the right-hand side. And the third, part three, you tee to the left and on the left-hand side. So we had seen that. And so we were looking at the tee box and we said, okay, well, that must be what it is. Up stepped Andy. He had the honor from Newcastle and he put put it down there and I stepped up second to hit mine. And then a couple of guys came from the ninth hole. They were coming up to the 10 tee box and they were locals. Whereas the three of us were not members of the course. And two guys came up and said, lads, you're on the wrong tees. They're the other way around. And we said, well, there's no signage. And it has to be this way because the card plays left and the tent plays right. And they said, no, you're definitely on the wrong tees. And they said, come down here and have a look. And we walked off the tee box, down the steps, and there was a sign down at the path, which you could only see if you were entering it from the ninth. You would never see it if you're coming from the third. And it was, it was down at foot level on the base of the tee box where you couldn't see it, saying the third tee box is on the right-hand side and the tent is on the left. So we, we had to reload and go back to the other team positions, myself and Andy, and we teed off and played down the hole. And after the hole, I put mine on the green and got... Uh, I got home in three from where I was, but I went down and I put down on my card a five. Okay, I put down a five and Andy had teed onto the green and he pulled out in three as well. And I said, you know, that's really disappointing now to have got a double bogey there when out of, out of nowhere and at no fault of our own. And Andy said, what do you mean? Like, that's, that's, that's a par, right? And I said, no, no, you teed from the wrong teeing area. So if you tee from the wrong teeing area, it's two shot general the general rule applies, so it's a two-shot penalty. I'm a bit of a nerd in knowing my rules. And he said, I don't think that should apply here because it wasn't clear to us where the teeing area was. So how could we be responsible for it? And I said, well, look, the rules of golf are a bit boring. They don't allow for situations like that. The rules of golf are very clear. You have to tee from the teeing area. And if you don't, you've got an issue. So my, I suppose my complaint was obviously that was very, very disappointing for that to happen and it having been badly signposted. But I would venture that quite a lot of the course were playing the wrong tees on the third and the tenth. In fact, even some of the members may well have played from the wrong ones because they don't walk back to this tee box. It's never in play, uh, this, this shared tee. Because once you step off the shared tee, which is at the back, it splits into two tee boxes, one on the left and one on the right. The tee box on the left plays to the third and the tee box in the tent plays to the tent, or sorry, the tee box on the right plays to the tenth. So this shared tee box is only shared off the back tees. So actually some of the members wouldn't have even really been familiar with it. So I'd venture that many of the players on the day, in fact, most of the players we saw play it off the wrong tees on both the third and the tenth. What do you think of that situation, Nigel? How would you felt if you were on that tee? It's probably the most extreme example 
of a course that you don't know and that you probably need to know beforehand yeah. when you're playing a junior scratch. When you play a junior scratch and you don't know the course, it's tough enough as it is with yardages and lines into greens and some and stuff like blind shots as you've talked about before. And there are situations where you can, if you don't know the the tee boxes, how can you play the course? But if you're yeah. saying that the it would have been confusing confusing for members, strikes me that uh, I don't know anything about Lee Valley. I've never played there, but it sounds... I know you kind of have recommended it, but from what you've said, it doesn't sound attractive to me. <laughs> yeah, well, on that basis, yeah. And and why I, what I mean by that in that the members wouldn't even know is because it's they, they never played from there. This well, if, you, if you're saying that the members didn't, possibly didn't know or some of them may have made the mistake, well, then it causes to question the whole competition. It does, yeah. Especially I think you're right in the sense that you have to call a two-shot penalty on yourself if you've teed up from the wrong teeing ground yeah, and had to play another tee shot. But that's just, it's extremely bad luck and poor signage by the course, but you've made a mistake and you have to accept it. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of took, I know for Andy, I won't say he never recovered from that because that would be very harsh to say, but it definitely was a very early kick in the in the you know what's for Andy and it, it upset me as well because I'd been going pretty okay at that stage and to get a double you know in a scratch cup as you know yourself doubles are things you're trying to keep off the card and here you're getting a double for no apparent reason so it was it was hard to take yeah and it, it grated Andy for a while quite some while afterwards Joe on the other hand he got lucky he was next to T so he was he he was told. He was on the wrong team. He moved over to the correct team, so he didn't get any penalty. So Joe got lucky. In the week ahead, I've got lots of match play coming up. I have Forsen's match tonight. You'll have to keep your fingers crossed for us, Nigel, although I'm sure you can't stand sight of us. But we've got another match tonight in the quarterfinal. I have a singles quarterfinal on Friday, and I have a four-ball quarterfinal then on the 23rd. Sunday week, I think it is. And I'm going to Ashburn on Thursday. You're invited, Nigel, if you'd like to come along, take a day off work. I'm going to Ashburn with the Santry Golf Society. I haven't been there since the Jimmy Bruin Leinster quarterfinal. Was it 2018? I want to say, Nigel. Were you part of that team? You surely were. No, I wasn't. You weren't. That year I wasn't. It was the year after we won in Laytown, Town, but lost overall. It was 2017, I think it was. Right. I was on the bench for that one, but I got a practice round out there. So looking forward to going back and playing with uh, Mike, Michael Galvin Jr. and the vice captain of the club. Sunday Golf Club. So that'll be a nice trip out on Thursday. We're free to join us. Yeah, yeah. And before we move on to the Wyndham, the last section here is a new section, which I think each week we're going to have a little bit of a fun game between the two of us. This week we've come up with one. I'll let you run through what the, what the game is, Nigel. Well, we're, we're going to call it a birdie blitz. So on Sunday morning, it's Sunday morning we're playing, isn't it? That's right, yeah. You're in, you're in the group ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, we're, there's a rumble on in Donabate, so we're going to see which team can amass the most birdies over the round between each group of four. Super. So, so the rumble I'll is be playing. to count on a few holes, two to count on a few others, and three to count on a few others. I think it's a bit like that. And I think they're talking about four to count on the way in, on the last hole. So 
it's there's plenty of scores going down in the card. And yeah, across the two teams, who can get the most birdies? So you've got you've got all the low guys, right? So you've got yourself, Martin, Dara, and Daryl. That's right. And I've got two Marks, Mark Mackey, Mark Smithers, and we've got a chap that I haven't played with before, John, who's joining us as well. Yeah, five euro free bet, which we can put on your picks for okay. the following week, right? So that's that's how we'll do this one, if you're happy to go with that. Five euros between the two of us. Is that fair enough? Okay, grand. Super. Right, well, that leads us in nicely then to the Wyndham Championship. We've got previous winners here. JT, the postman, won here last year, beating Webb Simpson by one. 22 under was the winning score last year. Sam Sneed has an incredible record here, winning eight times. It's been played in Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina, signed by Donald Ross. In action from an Irish perspective, we've got GMAC, Shane Laurie. Shane needs to finish in the top 20 here to qualify for the 125 in the FedEx. And Seamus Power is in action as well. He needs a top four to get into the FedEx 125. So, Nigel, lead us. What's your picks? Well, it's going to be difficult to top last week. Headline selection is Kevin Kisner. There's been a lot of publicity for Kevin this week. He was very good on the weekend at the PGA. He was five under for the weekend, ran into a top 10, 20 finish. He loves playing in Donald Ross courses. He was third at the Mortgage, Rocket Mortgage Classic, which is a Donald Ross course. He has three top 10s previous here at the Wyndham Championship. He's already been backed in. When I originally looked at it, he was 35, 33 to 1 on a bookmaker that was mentioned previously, but was shall <laughs> remain nameless. Some places that apparently had him at 40 to 1, but he's actually 28 to 1 at the moment. That's right, yeah. So people are latching on to him. We're going to go two and a half points each way. I think this is going to be a good weekend for Kevin Kisner. Our next selection is a guy who's going well in the FedEx standings. I think he's around 50th. Also, he had a reasonable solid week last week. He made the cut and was okay in the weekend. But he has previous form here at the Wyndham at Sedgefield. He's a couple of top 10s. I think he was top 10 here in 2018 and was just outside the top 10 last year. It's Billy Horschel, two points each way at 33 to 1. The next pick is a guy who I was very sweet on about a month ago and then let me down on the weekend. He's had his personal demons and his personal troubles, but he's back playing good golf. It's Chris Kirk at 80 to 1, one point each way. Next selection is Brandon Grace. Brandon was going very well at the Barracuda two weeks ago when unfortunately COVID-19 struck him down and forced him to leave the tournament. But he's disease-free this week and also needs a good finish in order to get into the top one, two, five. At 90-1, I think he's a good bet because he was going well at the time in the Barracuda. So one point each way, but Brandon Grace. And next selection is Denny McCarthy. Denny was going very well before the pandemic hit. He was riding, he had a couple of top 10 appearance or finishes. Uh, since then, He's kind of was finding his feet a bit, and then he got diagnosed with COVID 19, I think, around the travelers. He uh, did his quarantine, and since then, he's, he's put in some solid performances. He was good last week at the PGA. Every time he came on the TV, he was hitting great shots. Uh, 100 to 1, I think he's a good bet. That's 
three quarters of a point each way. We're what going a, for a, what a great Irish name as well, Dinny McCarthy. Dennis. Yeah, I know. He could be from County Cork. Absolutely. From McCroom, down where you're from. <laughs> We've got 250 to 1 outsiders this week. The first of them is the patriotic bet, hoping that Seamus Power can do the business and get into the 125. So we're going to half point each way at 150 to 1. Now he is available in some other places at 200 to 1, so maybe shop around. The other man is a guy who's in the t- top 50 in the FedEx Cup standings. It's been pretty solid since the pandemic and played well on the Donald Ross course that hosted the Rocket Mortgage Classic. He finished 12th there. And it's a guy called Mark Hubbard. I think he's overpriced this week for a guy who's in the top 50 in the FedEx Cup standings. He's 151, so go a half point each way. And our last Uber outsider, a guy who's mentioned a lot in a podcast I listen to golf betting systems uh, as a guy who comes first round leader a lot. He's a two-time Arnold Palmer invitational winner and it's Matt Every, a quarter of a point each way, 500 to one. He's a guy who loves Bermuda greens, fast darker, and I think he might continue his play onto the weekend. Okay. So we'll run down again. is Kevin Kisner, 28 to one, two and a half points each way. Billy Horschel, two points each way, 33 to one. Chris Kirk, a point each way, 80 to 1. Brandon Grace, point each way, 90 to 1. Danny McCarthy, 100 to 1, uh, three quarters of a point each way. Mark Hubbard and Seamus Perra, both 150 to 1, a half point each way. And Matt Every, 500 to 1, a quarter of a point each way. Fantastic. Right. Well, personally, I'm going to be keeping my fingers crossed for Seamus Power to pull it off. Everyone's playing with the bookies' money this week. So. Oh, it's a free week. It's a free week. Free week. I think we have a couple of free weeks, if I'm honest with you. The pressure's off you maybe for two weeks, but then you'll need to start performing again. So hopefully it's a, it's a good week for you. Yeah. So thanks a million. Best of luck to everyone. Don't blow everything you won now on the PGA this weekend. Thanks again, Nigel. Uh, fantastic week last week. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Cheers for that, Dermot. Good luck, everyone. So just to confirm, this podcast is not sponsored in any way. All views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which I have been, am now, or will be affiliated. Please do subscribe to the podcast, Brad Golf TV. You'll find me on Spotify, Pocket Casts, Google, etc., etc. Please follow, like, retweet, and share on social media. It's Brad Golf TV on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. On Facebook, you'll find me at bradgolf.ie, and you can also drop me an email at bradgolftv at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you in the weeks and months ahead. You've been listening to Brad Ball's podcast. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please do come back soon and join me for another round.